This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, May 1st, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Lordstown Motors might be in trouble. Carvana also might be in trouble. And we're finally starting to see supplies get close to normal for public retailers. Plus, our own Lindsay Chapel talks about a new series in this week's automotive news on the industry's tectonic shift towards carbon neutrality. Frankly, you know, there have been such a flurry of existential crises in the auto industry. This has been off to the side, sort of brewing like a good cup of tea, that car companies are rethinking everything. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Lordstown Motors could be forced to cease operations and file for bankruptcy. That's if it can't come to terms with partner Foxconn or find alternative financing. The EV startup's deal with Foxconn could unravel after the Goliath Taiwanese company threatened to withhold funding. If it does, Lordstown said in a securities filing today, it could mean insolvency. Last year, Foxconn had said it planned to invest as much as $170 million in the startup. Shares of Lordstown plunged 25% in morning trading in New York. Things also look pretty bleak for Carvana. Creditors holding about 90% of the retailer's bonds have been pitching the beleaguered used car company on ways to pare down debt and improve liquidity. They include a proposal for a debt-for-equity swap. That's according to people with knowledge of the situation who spoke with Bloomberg News. The creditor group was represented by White and & Case and PJT Partners. It recently offered to swap a substantial amount of unsecured notes for equity in Carvana. The bondholders also said they would allow the company to pay some of its interests with additional debt, a feature known as payment in kind. The proposal isn't final and terms could change. Sources say Carvana has not formally engaged with the group's offers. Automakers have sent retailers enough new vehicles to restore a 30-day supply to three major publicly traded auto groups. That's apparent from first quarter earnings reports. Sonic Automotive President Jeff Dyke said on the retailer's call last week that he expects supply to continue to increase. New car inventory is building. If you take a look at not just us, but you look across the board, if you look at new car inventory, it's gone from called a 20-day supply to a 30-day supply on average across the board. We expect that to continue to grow. Lithia saw the time for increased incentive spending drawing near, while another group, Asbury, reported discounting well-stocked vehicles below sticker. But some brands remain severely tight on inventory, according to public group executives, with more than one company singling out Toyota as having scant supply. And Mary Barra's total compensation in nine years as CEO of General Motors has surpassed $200 million. Barra received a pay package worth just less than $29 million last year. That's according to a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission on Friday. That made her the highest-paid Detroit 3 CEO for the eighth consecutive year. Barra earned a half percent less last year than she did in 2021. Her salary was unchanged at $2.1 million. Option awards increased 24% to just under $5 million. And non-equity incentive compensation 
declined 18% to $6.3 million. Stock awards, which account for the majority of Barra's compensation, increased 0.3% to more than $14.5 million. Barra's compensation topped the $25.6 million that Stellantis shareholders approved for CEO Carlos Tavares this month and the $21 million that Ford CEO Jim Farley earned last year. Barra is the only one of the three who also serves as chair. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Lordstown Motors might have to stop operations and file for bankruptcy. What happened? You know, it looks like they might be running out of money. Just last year when Ed Hightower became the CEO, I asked him about their prospects and, and how sound they looked. We know exactly what we need to do to get that cost down. It's going to require some additional investment. And until we raise the capital to make those investments, that's why we think it's most prudent as a business to limit the initial production uh, to the 500 or so uh, units that I mentioned. So we're in the process of raising additional capital now, having discussions with other potential partners who may be interested in the endurance platform. Of course, not long after that, credit markets and investment markets really tightened up. We've talked on the show with other people about how hard it's become for startups to raise money, especially those that aren't turning a profit. So this uh, was always going to be a challenge for this company as a startup that didn't really have a whole lot behind it, that's facing a lot of tough competition from established brands like Ford and Chevrolet and GMC, plus Tesla on the horizon. It looks like they're, uh, they're really up against it now. Interesting. Coming up, we have a big series in this week's automotive news on the industry shift towards carbon neutrality. We'll hear about it next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Only a few years ago, terms like carbon neutrality, greenhouse gas, and carbon footprint were relegated to the world of scientists, environmentalists, and green-leaning merchants. Now they are on the lips of virtually every company in the global auto industry. This week's edition of Automotive News looks at how this worldwide industry phenomenon has quickly taken shape and where it will lead automaking in the decade ahead. Editor Lindsay Chappell helped spearhead the project. I reached him at his home office in Nashville. Lindsay Chappell, welcome back to Daily Drive. Yeah, great to be here. 
We have a big package running in today's issue of Automotive News, looking at the industry's efforts toward carbon reduction. There's a lot more to it than just making EVs, isn't there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's uh, a wild tale, uh, how this thing got started and where it's going and how it's picking up momentum is is really awesome to hear about. We know, you know, we see in the news every day, it seems like weather crises, you know, climate emergencies, and so much of it is related to global warming. And they say, all the, sci- the scientists say, you know, the biggest emitter of carbon, which uh, carbon in the air is kind of what causes uh, the global warming. And they say transportation is the biggest source of that. Of course, that isn't all cars, but cars are a huge part of it. Uh, so the auto industry really has a responsibility to help address this. What are some of the ways they're going about it? Every way imaginable. And that's sort of the spirit of the uh, package that we have in today's issue. If you look around the world, there are different initiatives going on everywhere in the, the industrial capitals of the auto industry in Japan and the United States and Europe. Automakers are looking for ways to reduce their carbon. They're looking for ways to have smaller carbon footprints. And what's interesting about this, what's fascinating about this, I think, is that just a few years ago, you didn't hear about this. That this is a this is an historic makeover for the auto industry. Frankly, you know there have been such a flurry of existential crises in the auto industry. This has been off to the side, sort of brewing like a good cup of tea. That car companies are rethinking everything. They're rethinking where do I get the power to heat my office building. Where do I get aluminum to make uh, body panels that emit less carbon uh, CO2 than other panels of aluminum? Uh, what, what can I make this out of? How can I get my, my tire supplier to give me tires that have uh, less carbon content than previous tires? It's a shakeup of the whole uh, manufacturing experience, not not just in the factory, not just when you walk through the factory gates, but when I say manufacturing, I mean all the way from designers sitting in an air-conditioned office in Los Angeles, where did that air conditioning come from, all the way down to, you know, where is this car going to be recycled and how easy will it be for people to pull the parts out of this car for recycling? In a lot of ways in the industry, it seems like uh, Europe has kind of been leading the way on the environmental issues, certainly on the tailpipe emissions and the, the push first to you know, hybrids, then plug-in hybrids, and, and on toward electrics. How are they addressing the other parts of the industry, the, the manufacturing and supply chain stuff? You know, it was a history lesson that we sat here in the United States and didn't need to uh, pay much attention to uh, over the last several years. But, you know, the, the Paris Agreement of 2015 kind of set the wheels in motion. And the Europeans were all on board with that from the get-go, for the most part. We did have a little blip of four years in the United States where we, as a nation, uh, had nothing to do with it. But we came, uh, we came bouncing back in uh, January of 2021. The Europeans, therefore, kind of have a head start on us. And it was looking for a while like they were going to have a competitive head start on us. If they're you know, already thinking through these issues and already figuring out recyclability and already figuring out how to heat their factories more efficiently 
and how to produce coatings for their cars that result in lower carbon emissions, that's a competitive advantage. Their cars are going to come floating into the U.S. market from Europe, uh, having a benefit that we wouldn't have had. We are quickly mobilizing, though, I would say, in the United States to catch up. You know, in the U.S., right, uh, President Joe Biden has some pretty ambitious goals for carbon reduction, but does he have any, like, enforcement mechanism? That's another fascinating thing. Let's just compare it for a minute to uh, tailpipe emissions. The United States government dictates, if that's not too aggressive a term, tells the auto industry what it needs to achieve on fuel economy and its vehicles as a, as a fleet. There is really nothing telling the automakers of the United States in the United States what they have to do in this, that it's, it's been truly a remarkable organic evolution where the auto industry and North America has simply embarked on this path, I'd like to say because it's the right thing, maybe for competitive purposes. Maybe they see the writing on the wall that if the rest of the world is going to move forward on this, they obviously don't want to be left behind. But as a result, you see these aggressive programs at the Detroit Three and in other manufacturers in the United States where they are vowing to meet these aggressive CO2 reduction plans, and nobody's making them do it. I mean, the shareholders, I think some of them like it. There's certainly there's more of a movement toward disclosing environmental, social, and governance issues and externalities, as it, uh, as it were. But but yeah, there's no there's not like a everybody has to reduce by ten percent a year until we're down to whatever. Uh, nope, it's nope. Uh, very fascinating. So in Japan, it looks like all of the big automakers have committed to reach carbon neutrality by twenty fifty. Was that government mandated or was that self imposed as well? Well, you know this this is where we get the uh, the the title that we put on this package is uh, the enemy is carbon. This was a, a comment that the chairman of Toyota, Akio Toyota, has uttered many times. He is trying to keep the Japanese industry as, as a collective entity focused on the end result. He wears a second hat, as, as many of us know. As he is uh, chairman of the Japan uh, Automobile Manufacturers Association, which is basically means he's the guy who stands out front and represents what all the automakers of Japan are thinking and, and wanting. And he has said, we, Japan, can't simply flip to electric vehicles because we will lose millions of jobs in Japan, that the Japanese industry is so deeply invested in things like transmissions and fuel pumps that to switch over to EVs will simply, uh, in their mind, simply cut loose a lot of employment in Japan. And so therefore, they're focusing on a very broad front in this war uh, of where to reduce carbon. And they have, for example, a lot of opportunity to remake their utility system, where they get their electric power. They rely heavily still, as uh, many countries in the world do, they rely heavily on uh, coal to run their uh, electric grids. So any, anything, you know, where can we find opportunities to reduce carbon short of flipping the switch over to all EVs? As we know with EVs, right, where you get your power makes a difference. And of course, factories use so much energy. Uh, that's really important. And 
you know, it's interesting, you know, a lot of what we talk about, you know, is sort of this, you know, the so-called scope one and scope two emissions. Scope one, I think, is the actual emissions that come from making the product, vehicles in this case. And scope two is the energy, the cleanness or dirtiness of the, the energy they use to do that. And then when you really want to make a difference, you've got to go to scope three, which goes up into the supply chain. Uh, what's happening with suppliers? I mean, I asked Akio Toyota about, it. I think it was your suggestion, actually, uh, of how he was approaching this with his suppliers. Were they going to choose suppliers based on who showed progress? And he says, no, no, we're going to work with our suppliers uh, to help them find the solutions. You know, they keep very tight relations, but that's the supply chain is so sprawling, so complicated. What What's going on there? Yeah, let's put that in quotation marks. We're going to work with our suppliers in quotation marks. What does that mean? It means you're going to, at some point, you're going to crack the whip. You know, BMW has informed its supply chain that they've got to cut their f carbon footprints. Uh, Porsche, you know, the world's fun sports car manufacturer, you know, has told its parts makers, you guys have to do this. You're going to see this all over the industry. You're already seeing it. You know, when you go into uh, the Mercedes purchasing office now today, you know, and say, you know, I, I, I'd love you to, you to consider this uh, uh, innovative new steering wheel uh, that we, we'd love to see on your next, uh, you know, sedan. They're going to say, tell us how you are going to produce this thing with low carbon emissions, that that is simply a new starting point for supply chains. And you're already, you're seeing it. And this goes back to what I was saying a minute ago, that it's a competitive advantage. If you are operating in Europe and you've had four years to think this through, uh, you've already got your supply chain figuring stuff out. BASF begun delivering a, a new coatings composition to a BMW production plant that cuts carbon emissions, just the coating itself. I'm not talking about the smokestacks that come out of the, uh, the BMW factory. I'm just talking about the, the, the paint that they're going to put on the cars. Bosch, a delightful example at Bosch, they have something like 3,000 sustainability projects currently underway at 400 sites. The weight of this thing is surely going to fall onto suppliers. That It's not enough to make a part. You know, we've been through this, gosh, how many times, Jamie? It's not enough to make a, a part, we said back in the 90s. You have to do it with perfect quality. You know, and then we said, it's not enough to make the part. You've got to cut the price of the part that you made with perfect quality. It's not enough to do that. You know, it, it just, it keeps a layer upon layer. And the new layer is it's not enough to make a perfect, inexpensive part. You've got to do it in such a way that we as a collective organization from utility to auto assembly to individual parts can lower the amount of carbon dioxide we're putting up into the atmosphere. I wish we could talk more. We'll bring you back another time, I'm sure, to discuss this subject. Lindsay Chappell, longtime news editor here at Automotive News, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for asking me. You can find our series on carbon neutrality in this week's print edition of Automotive News and at autonews.com. And in September, we'll launch a new podcast documentary series on the subject, Stay tuned for more information on that project. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own John Hutter and Nick Bunkley for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on the industry's move towards carbon neutrality, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. 
come back tomorrow for a conversation with Mike Ramsey, Vice President for Automotive and Smart Mobility at research firm Gartner on new business models that are reshaping the auto industry. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.